And damn, boy, we're gonna get into some big terms here. <laughs> Woo! So as part of uniform guidance. Oh, oh yes. That's uniform not even, guidance. That's not even on my outline. Well, no. Uh, uh, so it should be called unicorn guidance. That would be way worse. Uniform guidance is another federal. This is a generally accepted accounting podcast. That's GAP for all you accounting nerds. It's a podcast produced by Casey Peterson LTD. We're a firm of CPAs and financial advisors based in Rapid City, South Dakota, and we'll be talking about tax, finance, accounting, audit, and a bunch of other topics that sound really boring, but that we're going to make hip and cool. Or we'll try anyway. So stick around to learn more. Audit versus review versus compilation versus agreed upon procedures. Then there's attestation and internal controls and compliance and cash versus accrual. What is all this jargon anyway? Well, today we're talking with CPA and income partner Devin Path about the audit process for nonprofits. In addition to all those terms, we'll talk about how organizations can prepare for their audit, what they can expect from the process, and what happens when audits are all done. Stick around to learn more. Devin Paff is a certified public accountant and an income partner for Casey Peterson, LTD, and he has almost 20 years of accounting experience. Uh, Devin earned his bachelor's degree in professional accountancy from Northern State University, and since that time, he's focused on a wide range of industries, including nonprofits, governments, and for-profit entities. And he's also a long-suffering Bears fan. I'm so sorry. Is that is that also 20 years? Is that longer? Is that your whole life? Longer. Welcome, Devin. Thanks Since for being the Super Bowl here. Shuffle. Oh well, I mean, if ever you were going to pick a team, that would have been the year. So mm, right. Yeah. So today we're talking about nonprofit audits. Please don't turn off the podcast. We promise we will make it more interesting, and it won't just be fodder for people who have insomnia. But first of all, so we're going to define some terms and talk a little bit about clearing up some of the misconceptions that people have when you say audit, because just that term alone makes people think the tax man is coming to their door and they're knocking and they're going to get, they're going to have to answer a bunch of questions. But that's not quite what what it is when we say audit. So before we talk about that, there are audits and reviews and compilations Mm -hmm. and agreed upon procedures. Yes. So let's talk about that. What is the difference between all four of those things? (laughs) You can pick whichever one you want to start with. (laughs) Oh, all right. Are you sure this is going to be boring for everybody? No, it'll be a good time. We'll make it fun. If you make it too exciting, I can edit it down to be more boring. So (laughs) crank it to 11 and then we'll dial it back. (laughs) Compilations are... We're going to take the data you provide and put it into financial statements. We don't really um, do any attestation work on that. We do not need to be independent, but if we're not, we do have to disclose that on the financial statements. Okay. A review is going to give you limited attestation work where we're we're going to come in and do some analytical procedures. It's not going to be as in-depth as an audit, but we do need to be independent and we will be able to provide limited assurance on those. Okay. An audit is uh, we're going to come in. That's going to give you the highest level of assurance. We're going to come in. We're going to confirm balances. Um, we're going to do a little bit more in-depth work. We're going to look at your internal controls. We're going to look at a few other different areas. And that's going to give you your, as I said, your highest assurance. So, yeah. Okay. And it's going to uh, agreed upon procedures. AUP is we will do what you tell us pretty much. We do need to be independent. We'll come in and say, so you want us to look at 10 cash disbursements. We'll come in and look, pick 10 data 
Castro's perspective. Okay. That it's something that we will we can help you come up with maybe what you're looking for if you have an idea. Otherwise, if you know what you want us to do, it's all spelled out and we do exactly what's on our engagement letter. Okay. So when you say um, that we need to be independent, what does that mean exactly? Like we're not just a, like an independent country. <laughs> What does independence mean? It means, in layman's terms, yes. <laughs> it, it means uh, we can't really have any relationship with anybody in management or in the financial decision making. And that would include boards as well, depending on what their role on the board is of an organization. So like um, ours, like you couldn't be uh, related to a president of a nonprofit or something like that if you were doing the review or whatever required us to be independent. Correct. Okay. We need to be independent in form, is what it's called, and then also in appearance as well. So if it even appears like there might be an independence issue, we probably try to stay steer away from that a little bit. Okay, gotcha. So it is sort of something that we've noticed that nonprofits tend to come to us and they say, hey, our board said we need an audit. But that isn't necessarily always the case or the best procedure for them, right? Most of the time, correct. Okay. We... Try to help the nonprofit organizations walk through that and find, figure out what they really need. An audit is time-consuming and expensive, mm-hmm. and it's not going to get any cheaper anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot, of, a lot of times, depending on what they're looking for, we can do a review or even sometimes an AUP if they're looking for some independence and some like that we're going to be able to attest that, yes, these are... Correct. Or, you know, materially correct. Part of the reason it seems like that nonprofits want an audit is they think that it will catch fraud. Is that also correct? That is correct. But but that is not not correct. (laughs) Our audits, we design our audit. We do what's called a risk-based audit. So we come up with what we feel the nonprofit's risk areas are. And we look at those a little bit more. But we are auditing, we come up with a materiality level as well. So we're auditing at a materiality level. We're not looking through every transaction that happens. And the materiality level is basically what they have provided as far as documentation. All of this is kind of based off of mathematics. Okay. Who knew there was math involved? (laughs) So we... There's math involved. Yes, yes. We will kind of determine what we feel like is maybe the riskiest area, whether it be revenues, expenses, assets, kind of what the end user of the financial statements want, and we'll base materiality on that. And it's based on a certain percentage of what we, you know, if we feel it's the entity's a little bit riskier, if it's a new audit, if it's somebody we've worked with time and time again, we might drop the materiality again because we know them well enough. If it's new, well, so we can play with the numbers a little bit, but it's kind of already, like the percentages that we use are already predetermined. Oh, okay. And then we tend to look at areas and items that are over that materiality level. So okay. if you read our financial or independent auditor's report, we will state that we feel these are materially correct, and that's what we mean by materially correct. We haven't looked at every transaction. We're not going to look at every transaction, but from the testing that we've done, nothing needs to be changed that'll materially affect the end user of the financial statements. So nothing looks particularly weird where we would question it. Mm -hmm. Because audits themselves actually only capture a tiny percentage of fraud. Can't remember what the number is, but it's it's, (laughs) it's a lot lower than anyone would expect. And we'll find what that number is and we'll throw it in the show notes. Yeah, that sounds like a thing we can do. Yes, Okay. for sure. We do have a duty that if we do find fraud, that we need to report it. So we will do that, but we're not doing our testing to look for fraud. So a couple other terms 
that we wanted to find are cash versus accrual. So that's basically how an organization spends their money, sort of. Tracks their money. Tracks their money. So what is the difference between those two? So there are actually several different bases of accounting. So these are the two, what they call bases of accounting. These are two different types of bases of accounting that we generally deal with the most. And it's about how, when you track your revenue and expenses, when you record your revenue and expenses. So in a cash basis, you are not recording your revenue and expenses until you're either receiving the cash or sending the cash out. Okay. And that's as basic as it gets. So Money in, money out. Yep. In a accrual basis... It's going to be when you accrued the expense or when you incurred the expense and then or when you earned the revenue Okay, is when you record that. So for accrual basis, you get an invoice. You can enter it in your system as a payable. But you may not pay it at that moment. But you moment. may not pay it for two months. But right. that's, that expense is hitting the books when you enter that in, when you get the right. invoice. For cash basis, you get the invoice. You don't really do anything with it. You cut the check. That's when we hit expenses. Right. Okay. So another couple of terms, internal controls. <laughs> this is where we're going to lose people. Oh, come on, people. Stick with us. We're getting to the good stuff. We promise. So ASCPA defines internal controls as a process affected by an entity's oversight body, management, and other personnel that provides assurance that the objectives of an entity will be achieved. Okay, so you're talking about, let's say as an example, um, you're a nonprofit and you have someone who's managing the books or something like that. And there's a process um, so that there isn't fraud, that like maybe they are the ones that cut the checks, but they're not the ones that receive the money or something. That is considered an internal control. Correct. The process of that. The gist of it is you don't want one person to collect, record, and pay all the money out at one time. Because it's really easy then for there to be. It's really easy for them. And internal controls should be designed so that everything's getting reviewed and double checking. Now, it's not going to help against collusion at all necessarily. Because if you have two people who are like, hey, I get the money and you pay the money and between the two of us, you're right. But but at least there is some hopefully level of protection that you're not having someone embezzling your funds. Every entity has internal controls whether they know it or not and whether they know whether they're working or not. But if you have a process and how you do things that's kind of your internal controls now those can be improved we run into a lot of entities that they're doing the best they can with right. what they have especially in the nonprofit sector nonprofit yeah. yeah if they only have one or two people in the office it's very tough to segregate everything yeah to keep that you may be the person that receives and pays but they're hopefully is maybe one other person who's at least looking at yeah so in that case i would maybe have somebody else do the bank recs then so that they can possibly see the ins and outs of that it's not just someone just fudging the books okay yeah. how about compliance that sounds like a fun <laughs> word compliance we don't run in only time we necessarily run into compliance is during a single audit which i'm sure we'll talk about we sure up. will <laughs> Um, and that's just, I mean, it's basically just complying with the laws and regulations that are out there. Um, for nonprofits, you're going to have some of that with your private grants that you get possibly where you're going to have to follow the stipulations of the grant agreement you signed. Okay. So you could um, get a three-year, $100,000 grant, but it's going to have to be like you need to show something at each quarter yeah. annually or whatever. That would be considered compliance. compliance. Okay. Yes. Our audits do a little bit of that, but not, we don't get... We're more concerned, I guess, on the financial side of things if it's not a single audit. Okay. Because we don't want to get bogged down and trying to figure out like, hey, this is what your grant said you had to do and you haven't done it. Mm. That's a whole different thing. Which we do look at some of that once we get into revenue recognition, which we'll talk about. Absolutely. (laughs) Let's talk about revenue recognition. What is revenue recognition? So in the last couple of years, 
new accounting standards have come out on how to how you're actually going to recognize your revenue. It's not just hey, here's some revenue, and I recognize I've got it. It's a Correct. little bit more in depth. So than that. it affects nonprofits way more than it affects governments, and it really doesn't have an effect if you're uh, using cash basis of accounting. It doesn't really affect you again because it, you're not going to recognize. But if you're following FASB, if you're following the actual GAAP rules, it is going to affect you, and it's kind of based on when you can recognize your revenue and so is that like so when you receive your revenue yeah or? when well no not, not necessarily okay. it's going to be for instance the examples i'm kind of thinking of is you get a $500,000 grant where you're going to get 200,000 up front another 100,000 after so many months and another 200,000 at the end or whatever right. you're not just getting a you're check not going Right. You're getting that money, but you haven't earned that revenue yet. Oh, okay. So it's based on that. So you got to figure out what your performance obligations are in that grant. Because you may when, not get the next chunk of money if you don't fulfill the requirements of the first chunk right, of money. Correct. Okay. But some of the requirements aren't necessarily considered performance obligations either. Like if you just have to file a written report, that's not necessarily a performance obligation. Oh, okay. So there's, yeah, it's... It's quite in depth. So if, if it's determined that there's no performance obligations, as you get that money, you're recognizing that revenue. Okay. Which for a nonprofit can open up a whole nother can of worms. Well, yeah, because you're trying to balance when you're getting the money, whatever's yeah, so, required for you to keep the money and get yep, the next so chunk of money. You're going to want to talk to your granting agencies. The best way to do it is if you could do a, a reimbursement basis, which a lot of, most all of the federal on the federal side of things, if you're getting federal money, that's how a lot of that is. Like I spent the money, now you re, you pay yep. me back for what I spent, I spent the it money. On. Here's what I spent it on. Okay. Here's your money back for that. It's almost like a <laughs> so, grand so you credit know, card. Yeah. Like, so yes. you so you know that you've earned that revenue. Right. Because, I um, I've fulfilled the requirements whereas, of what you were going to give me the grant for. Yep. Now pay me my money. <laughs> yeah. Whereas with private organizations, private foundations and stuff that are giving money, it's usually like here's a five thousand five hundred thousand dollar grant. Here's some money here. Here's some money here. Here's some money here. And depending on how the grant's written, it it's, could be very vague. And there might not be any performance measures at all where, yeah, you're recognizing that revenue right away. Whereas there's there's a cloudy area there. It yeah. gets a little gray in there sometimes. And as like accountants, we don't necessarily like gray. I mean, like, no, black and white. We like That's what color debit, Excel is. Debit and credit. And <laughs> so it just, it's it's something to keep in mind. Okay. Um, it's, it's new in the last couple of years. So makes the, what should so you would think make your life easier and oh hey I'm getting some more money to help with the thing yeah. that I'm trying to do can cause more headaches because of all of the requirements yep. around keeping it or earning it or whereas, getting the next chunk of it. Whereas three or four years ago you get the money you put it in deferred revenue which is unearned revenue right. and as you get expenses then you accrue it now they've changed Ooh, there's a whole yeah. five step process I didn't want to get into all that with you guys it's like and, a 12 step program but yeah. somehow worse <laughs> yes with numbers with numbers and math involved oh so. no alright so let's talk about it what is a single audit as opposed to a not single audit a double so audit? it's called a single audit because of legislature that I was named after oh okay I believe um, and that's been around since that term has been around since before I started here. It started when I was working at the school district. So I've dealt with it for quite a while, probably 10 years now, 11 years. So it isn't necessarily something that like goes back forever, but it is within no, the last couple used, decades. Yeah, they okay. used to test everything a little bit different. Now they call it a single audit because it was supposed to make things easier to audit. <laughs> How'd that work? Yeah. Uh, typically how any other, <laughs> other um, legislation works. 
That's not a comment on the government. I'm not the government. <laughs> so essentially what it means is if you expend over $750,000 in federal funding in any given year, you are required to have what they call a single audit, which in a single audit, it's a little bit more in-depth than just what we would come in and do a regular audit on. We are going to come in and look at what we determine to be your major programs. And what we mean by major programs is your grants that you've received, your major grants that you've received. So if you get money to say run a after school program or something like that, then it's several hundred thousand dollars. That is considered a major program. Could be. Okay. There's steps that we have to go through to determine the major programs. Okay. So, so there is actually a process of whether or not yep. something is considered a major yep. program. So okay. and some of it is auditor judgment and some of it is the government tells us this is this hasn't thing. been audited in the last two years, so it'll be need to be audited this year. So it's a major program. Things okay. like that. So in the single audit, we are going to test compliance. Um, we are going to test controls. Okay. We're not going to give an opinion on controls, but we will test controls and make sure they're in place and effectively working. We get the compliance from every year. <laughs> mm, can't wait. <laughs> every year, the government puts out what they call a compliance supplement. Oh, of course it is. And it's about 3,000 pages long. That's not a supplement. A supplement is like vitamin B, yep. vitamin A. Light reading. Some light yes, reading. light reading. <laughs> <laughs> and it lists the majority of the federal programs, the federal grants that they're getting out there. Oh. And it lists the areas of compliance that they want us to look into. So every year we have to brush up on what these new three. Well, they typically don't change from year to year necessarily. Okay. Like the compliance side of things. Maybe. Is there a supplement to the supplement that says what's changed? There is, yes. Okay. There is, like the beginning of the supplement is, if you look at this grant, this has changed from last year. This used to okay. be applicable. This is no longer applicable okay. type thing. And well, we're going to get into some big terms here. <laughs> Woo! So as part of uniform guidance. Oh, oh yes. Uniform not even, guidance. That's not even on my outline. Whoa. No. Uh, so Should be called unicorn guidance. That would be yes. Uniform guidance is another federal directive that brings, it was supposed to bring all the federal entities in together to come under one standard set of rules. Okay. Now, not all federal departments have exactly said, yes, we're going to follow. Of course. Why would they do that? Well, why would you? It really hasn't changed a yeah. whole lot. But on the uniform guidance, and the actual term is uniform administrative requirements, cost principles, and audit requirements for federal awards. And there just went our two other listeners. Yeah. <laughs> 2 CFR Part 200, if you ever want to read some fun stuff. Right, so now we're going to go through and read all 3,000 pages. Right, this is going to be a so, long one. We expect all of our listeners now. So for compliance, they have... 14 different areas that you can look at for compliance. I can list, probably list them all off, but I'm sure you don't want to know. The uniform guidance has come out and said in the last couple of years that we only need to test six areas. Then it's up to the departments to get the money out what six areas they want us to look at. Okay. So that's narrowed it down a little bit. And some don't have that many areas to look at either. It's just a matter of that's the most they want us to test. Okay. At most, it would be six areas. Six areas. Okay. Oh, I can live for hours. <laughs> we're talking about compliance. We're talking about compliance. We're talking about a so, single audit. Okay. So you have a single audit. You have you come in. It's not as simple as it sounds. You're looking at major programs. You're looking at compliance. You're looking at their controls, testing all those sort of things. And how often or like how do you... How do you know or how does an organization know if they need a single audit? If they've expended over 750000 Oh, that's where the 750000 comes in. Okay. And a lot of this came about in a lot of organizations previously that hadn't did not have to have a single audit when they received all the COVID money. 
Right. Suddenly that triggered, they were receiving a bunch of money and they might have to... We haven't seen, I don't believe, a lot of nonprofits that have had a single audit triggered. Okay. Just because that's a kind of high bar to clear with the 750000 And they didn't really get the type of funding that everybody else did. Okay. That we've seen because your... PPP loans don't count towards single audits. Oh, okay. I mean, there's a lot of other money out there. We we have some hospitals, which is a whole other discussion, but mm. we'll have some of those that are considered nonprofits that'll end up having some, because they got some money through Health and Human Services. Sure. They got um, big, some of them got pretty yep. big. Millions so of dollars. So they'll, they'll end up having, and that's a whole, it's not even necessarily a single audit. That's a whole process into itself. So. Okay. So how about a... Non single audit, just a just a regular old audit, like a married audit, married <laughs> filing jointly audit. Yes, um, that is in, still intense, but it's less intense. And we usually do those in conjunction. So if you have a single audit, if you've never had an audit before and you qualify for single audit, you're going to need to get a regular. Oh, so you have to have both. You, One is just having a single yes. audit is not enough. Correct. Okay. There, we're going to come and look at your financial statements. Um, we're not going to go quite as in depth because when we say we're testing compliance and we're testing internal controls in the single audit, we need to document what your population is that we're looking at and we need to document the samples that we're looking at. So like we have, again, charts and all this stuff saying your population's this, this is what your sample size, this is the number of items you need to look at to be able to say, yes, these are in compliance and these are internal controls are working. In our regular audit, in our financial statement audits, we don't necessarily do that. We're going to come in and maybe do what we call walkthroughs. We'll look at two or three of those transactions on their own um, just to make sure that you have internal controls in place and you're following them. We're going to look at a few things in compliance maybe, but we're going, I mean, we're going to confirm your cash balances. We're going to confirm if we find it necessary, we're going to confirm your accounts receivable depending on the type of organization and what you have for accounts receivable because that's a required audit step is to confirm accounts receivable. But um, so it's just a little bit higher level, I guess, where we're looking more at more things at a materiality level. Whereas when we're going through our samples for testing internal controls and compliance, we're just randomly picking transactions at that point where we're not taking necessarily materiality into play. Okay. Sample size and populations and, oh, and charts and my graphs. statistics nerd brain got kind of woken up. Oh, <laughs> we doing confidence intervals? Or no, right? I'm sure that's probably in there somewhere, but yeah. we don't have to worry about that. That's already done for us. Thank so. goodness. So how does a nonprofit, how do they prepare, regardless, let's just say, whether they've decided that they're going to do um, an agreed upon procedure or a comp or a review or not, what is the best way for them to just get ready for that process? Well, first off, know what kind of accounting you're doing. Are you doing cash? Are you doing accrual? Know your year end. Mm-hmm. Other than that, it's kind of going to depend on the nonprofit. Make sure all your bankrupts are done. Make sure you're caught up in that and you have all of that taken care of. If that's not done, then there's not a whole lot we can do. Right, because there's, there's no material to actually look at. Yeah, and if they're not done correctly. I mean, if you're plugging <laughs> wow. numbers here and there. Wild I mean, guesses. Wild guesses. We've got to have something reliable to test against. Yes. To... Yes. We're not going to be able to say, yes, we think that these are, you know. 
sure. good financial statements. So there's processes. Whatever you do at the end of the year, year to kind of close out your books, if you're adjusting from cash basis to accrual basis because you ran cash all year, you know, make sure you have all those done. Um, make sure if you're in accrual basis, you have all your fixed assets recorded, your depreciation ran. Make sure you have all your receivables booked. And there's forms out there that can kind of help you with all of that and kind of help you with your year-end closeout and making sure you kind of have everything ready to go. And in fact, what a great place for us to plug. <laughs> on our website, we have caseypeterson.com. There's a resources section. And on that are resources that nonprofits and different entities can use to help get ready for their audits or reviews or year-end. Um, and you can find all of that on our website. So check that out. And we'll, again, throw that in the show notes. <laughs> Is there anything like setting expectations with staff of a nonprofit or just so that they have an idea of what to expect from the audit process? Typically, when, we, when you have an audit with us... Uh, not necessarily the case with reviews and compilations or anything like that, but when you have an audit with us, we're going to try to come to your office at least at least two weeks in advance. Okay. Sit down, um, talk with you if there's any changes over the current year. If you're new, if you're a new client, we need to go through all of your internal controls to make sure we have all that documented. Make sure we know what we're testing and looking at. Kind of like a little pre-interview kind of thing yep, to set the stage. Okay. Yep. We're going to probably do what we call fraud inquiries, which is, although we're not looking for fraud, we do talk to different individuals in the organization to see if they have any areas of concern that they want us to look into. Like um, something just didn't sound right or yep. feel right here. Would you at least yep. take a look at some of this information? In yep. these and then we'll probably try to do our walkthroughs at that time too. Or if we're doing a single audit, we would probably do some of our control and compliance testing there as well, just to kind of, so we try to make it as in depth as possible right away. We'll get uh, your board of directors or, you know, notes, Meeting notes that you have throughout the year because we need to read through all those copies of any new documents that we need, any new grants you've gotten, any new loans, any other commitments like that. We would take hard copies of because we keep those until they're up to seven years. Is that our well? We we keep them what we call our perm files, so they'll roll over from year to year. So we have but to until like until it, you know if it's a grant until the grant money's up or if it's a loan until it's paid off. And but yes, it'll always be in our audit files though for the seven years that we have those. So that way, if we the next year that we go to do the audit, we can refer back to some of the yep. historic documents. Okay. Yep. We're going to probably ask for your trial balance in your general ledger because we'll need that before we probably do any of our walkthroughs or our control testing. So we'll need that a little bit in advance. And there's some setup that we need to do on our end to get that ready to go through. We will ask for your CIFA, Schedule <laughs> of Expenditures of Federal Awards, if you have one. Oh. And that's that's what we use to determine if you're going to need a single audit or not. Okay. And a lot of clients don't necessarily know how to do that or put that together. So that's something we might have to do for them if we figure out that they need a single audit, which happens when you're in the middle of an audit and be like, oh, this is all federal money. Oh, we look at this. Oh, fun. This is going longer. (laughs) (laughs) So those are the most of the pre-planning stuff, board minutes, you know, and make sure that we're going to be able to access your employees to ask your questions. Make sure you, every, every entity is a little bit different. Some want all the questions to go directly to one person. Other people will say, well, that's so-and-so go talk to them about it. Um, So it's just all a matter of what they want us to do. So how long from, like, we'll say start to finish, although there's lots of steps in between, does an audit typically take? Perfect world? Sure. Let's pretend it's a world. Perfect world. (laughs) 
Perfect world, we could probably, depending on the size of the audit, we could probably get it done on maybe six weeks. Okay. Perfect world. Perfect world. More regular, actual, realistic, realistic world? Uh, we're pushing eight weeks to ten weeks, probably. Okay. So it depends. It, so depends. it does help if you have all of your financial everything, everything ready. ready, that it's going to go faster. If you mm-hmm. have access, if, you, if the auditors can talk to staff and ask questions and things like that, it will actually go faster. Yes. If we don't have outstanding items hanging out there. And it'll depend on the time of the year. Sure, um, because if you, because if it's like any, there's a busy season, and if it's all yeah. during that time, it might take that much longer. Okay. So, um, what kind of deliverables does a nonprofit or their board get at the end of an audit? What do you What do you get for all that? Six, you get the words. audit report. What else do you need? Ooh, what is that? What's in the your audit fancy report? Briefcase. <laughs> <laughs> do you have to handcuff it to yourself? So typically, depending on the type of audit. So if we're just coming in and doing our regular audit, you're going to get an audit report. Typically, we put the financial statements together. We for the client. We do have some clients that have a third party do that for them, or they do it themselves, and and then we just use theirs and just verify that our amounts are matching their amounts, and we're all good. Okay. And of course, the note disclosures—that's all required part of the financial statements. So we'll put all those together for you as well. And then typically we'll come present to the board. We'll kind of go over the aspects of what's all entailed in the report and kind of point out a few areas if we see any areas of concern that you know your cash is getting a little bit low your cash flows have been dropping you know the last three years or you know you're not doing a very good job of collecting your receivables from what we can tell some areas to maybe look at and we have in the past put together some what we would call performance measures to kind of look at that. It's almost that, like a, just a goal post of like, this is where you've been. Yeah, and this is where it. you've been. And this is where we would typically like to see a nonprofit organization your size, just to kind of discuss that. And the boards that I presented to, they're very different. Sure. Some are very hands-on, some aren't. So sometimes the presentation takes five minutes and you can see everybody's eyes gloss over or the next <laughs> one... They're asking questions and you're there for an hour talking to them about questions they have or where they need to improve or where they think you need to, you know, yeah, okay. like that. So it, it just all varies. But the other set of deliverables that it's not going to be a report or anything, but we really try to have a partnership with our clients. Sure. You'd rather have you, if you have questions throughout the year, right. give us a call. Ask it because it's going to be a lot easier to do right away than to have us come in six months later and you try to remember what you did and right. us try to help you fix it. So it's kind of important to stay in contact Correct. with your auditor throughout the year. Yep. So that it and vice versa. Right. So that way it doesn't come to the time of the audit. Here are 1,800 questions that we just yeah, all compiled. We didn't know what we were doing, so we didn't do anything. Yeah. So. This is going to be a problem. Can yeah. we just fix this now? Yeah. So. <laughs> Because okay. then we, we run into independence issues there as well, because there's certain things where, yes, we can't be, when you say you're independent, we can't be part of the board or anything, but we also can't do your work for you right. either and say, yep, this is. Yeah, because if you're the one doing the work and then checking the work, yep. it looks, <laughs> yeah, that's a little. Oh, it looks a little sketchy. So there's there's some areas where we might have to step back and say, Sarah, we can't do that for you. You're... That, would, that would interfere with our independence. Yep. So. Okay. Um, what happens after? So you've gone through the process. You've had your auditor review, you have your audit reports, and then is it just great? We have this and we keep this until next year. Does it does it have to go somewhere? What is what happens it, after? It depends. Oh. Of course. I'm starting to sound like a lawyer now. It depends. It So if you have a single audit, we and you are required to submit what they call a DCF. Yep. Data collection form. Ooh. There you go. Look at that. Oh, that Didn't no. even have to Google it, kids. I was going to. I was going to because I couldn't remember it. 
So they we go onto this website called the Federal Audit Clearinghouse or Federal I think it's just Federal Clearinghouse where we have to input all of your single audit data and then place a copy of the report on there and then we have to certify that what's entered is all correct and the auditee has to, has to certify that it's all correct. Gotcha. And then they have to go through some patterns there, whatever they do on the federal, and then it needs to be accepted by them. It's almost like you're, it's like a glorified version of submitting your tax return, kind of. A little bit, okay. yeah. Okay. So if you're having a single audit, it's that. And then if you don't have a single audit, it all just kind of depends on, you know, kind of maybe sits on the shelf and collects dust. <laughs> yeah, we've got this So if you're getting it. any certain funding through the state of South Dakota, mm-hmm. we will send that to the department. The Department of Legislative Audit will want to review that as well. Okay. So we'll send that to them as well for their review and have to get their sign off on it as well before, well, that's before we issue. Okay. So there could be state and federal implications depending on what kind yep. of audit you've had. Okay. Yep. And for nonprofits, they're going to use it. A lot of them are going to use it for their fundraising saying, look, you know, hey, look, we got a clean audit report. Right. We're tracking your money the way we want it to be. Some funding agencies are going to want them to submit an audit to them. It all depends. Oh, that's good to that's good to know. What's your craziest audit story? I don't really have any. Well, what do you what do you I've unfortunately enjoy? never found fraud, so Oh man. <laughs> You're so I mean that's boring. good but boring. Yeah. I don't worry. <laughs> what do I enjoy about it? I was just say, like what's what's like the most enjoyable thing you've come across or, or interaction that you've had maybe through the process of an audit? Well, I think for me it's a lot of it is that interaction with the client, the the problem solving side of things where, like I said, we try to be a partners with our with our clients. So to be able to help them with their questions or to point them in the right direction of something or maybe offer them help in other areas that we can help them in where they're struggling. Sure. And and to know that they trust us because they're you know, they're calling us. They're they have questions, they're calling us, they're sending us emails. So I mean, just that kind of I enjoy that aspect of it to know that we're trusted and they trust that we know what we're doing. We, I yeah. mean, we do know what we're doing, but yeah, you no. should trust to be doing your audit. I to so. to be able to <laughs> build that trust with them is build that relationship is probably the is what I enjoy the most. I like yeah. to see, especially with nonprofits that you know trying to do good work and being able to help them make that process a little bit easier yeah. and meet meet their goals. You know, help whatever whoever their end user is or whatever. Um, yeah, I can mm-hmm. see that would be actually be really rewarding. Uh, so thank you, Devin, for being on the show again. Uh, we have resources on the website uh, under the resources tab at kcpeterson.com. And if you have any questions, you can reach out to us at uh, info at kcpeterson.com. Thanks again, Devin. Yeah, you're welcome. And now the legal stuff. This podcast and associated communications are intended to provide general information about tax, finance, investment, and other financial matters. Although Casey Peterson LTD has made every reasonable effort to ensure that the information provided is accurate, we make no warranties expressed or implied. Be aware that this is not a comprehensive analysis of the subject matter covered and is not intended to provide specific recommendations to you or your business. Investment advisory services are offered through Advantix Planning Partners. Commission-based securities products are offered through Advantix Investment Services, member F-I-N-R-A-S-I-P-C. Insurance services are offered through licensed agents of Avantex Planning Partners, 3200 Olympus Boulevard, Suite 100, Dallas, Texas, 75019. The Avantex entities are independent of and unrelated to CPS Financial Services, LLP. Although Avantex does not provide or supervise tax or accounting services, our financial professionals may offer these services through their independent outside business. Not all financial professionals are licensed to offer all products or services. Financial planning and investment advisory services require separate licenses. <coughs> hey, Evan. Hey, Hillary. Did you know that air used to be free at the gas station, but now it costs two fifty. 
No, I did not know that. Do you know why? No. Inflation. Oh, that's, that's <laughs> happening right now. It's timeless. It's hilarious. It's timeless.